0: I would invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 24. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 24. We've just taken our time moving to this book. Uh, <clears throat> we have come to chapter 24 and there's 67 verses in this passage. And so we have just really slowed down and, and looked at this passage more, more closely. There's a lot of good material here. Genesis chapter 24. I want to read the whole passage so that we can get the uh, just a, a framework here. Verse twenty-three. I'll start at verse twenty-three. Then food was set before him to eat, but he said, "I will not eat until I've spoken my words." And he said, "Speak." So he said, "I am Abraham's servant, and Yahweh has greatly blessed my master, so he has come become great, and he has given him flocks and herds and." Silver and gold and male servants and female servants and camels and donkeys. Now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age. And he has given him all that he has. And now and my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in, whom I, in whose land I live, But you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. Then I said to my master, suppose the woman does not follow me. And he said to me, Yahweh, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and will make your journey successful. And you will take a wife for my son from your from my father, from my family, my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my relatives. Now, if they do not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So I came today to the spring and said, "O Yahweh, the God of my master, Abraham, if now you have you will make my journey on which I go successful. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water. And now and may it be that the maiden whom comes out to draw and to whom I say, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she say to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also. She is the woman whom Yahweh has decided upon for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca was coming out with her jar on the, on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew, and I said to her, please give me a drink. And she hurried and lowered her jar down from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will also give water to your camels to drink. So I drank, and she also gave water to my camels to drink. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Micah, or Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose and the bracelet on her wrist and bowed low and worshipped Yahweh. And I blessed Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, who had guided me in the true way to take the daughter of my master's relatives to for His son. So now, if you are going to show loving kindness and truth with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right or to the left. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you again for your word. What a precious thing it is. I pray that you would just be gracious. I pray that as we unpack this, that we would learn as much as we can What a beautiful example for us of a true servant. I pray that you would be glorified and honored. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The task of finding Isaac a wife has fallen upon Abraham's servant. It was Abraham's best servant. He is trustworthy. He is loyal. And he's an example of a a good servant. In fact, we see his true wisdom, it just shines in this whole passage. And it shows that Abraham is taking this task pretty seriously, that he wants the, the right woman for Isaac. He's spent money, he's spent time, and there's a lot at risk here. Uh, first of all, th- there's a, a danger that Isaac may take a, a wife from the Canaanite women uh, who are pagan, and then she would lead him into paganism and away from Yahweh and that's a danger. and That is not a good thing. The second option would be for him to go back uh, among Abraham's family and live there, but that would nullify the promise that God has given Abraham that he was going to give him this land. And that's a danger. That's not a good thing. The third option then is to go back and get a wife for Isaac and bring her Back to Isaac. And the servant. Now has to explain to. Uh, Rebekah's family. Why they need to trust. And trust her to him. And take her back. 450 miles away from her home. Into a pagan land. And they're they're going to just trust her. Trust him. This servant. And he sees this as. The task that it is, it's essentially an impossible task. How do you do this? You you can imagine someone coming just out of the blue, coming to your house and saying, Hey, and you know, God's led me. Uh, I want to take your daughter and I want to go to California and live there. And you're going to say, no way. And so this is the task that he faces. And, and he knows that he is he is. Overwhelm, this is an overwhelming task. He, he knows his dependence is upon God. He recognizes that God has to guide him in this path. He has to have full control of this. This is God's mission. And that's the way he sees this. And you'll begin to, to look at that this way. Now, folks, we can identify with this servant. We are, we are servants of the Most High God. And we've compared ourselves with his this servant uh, and our servitude to God. God has bought us. In fact, we're not just servants. We are slaves. We are bought with a price. And we are here to do His bidding. The thing that keeps us from just abandoning our post, we are bound with chains, three chains that come to mind. And I've mentioned this last week, but we, we need to keep this in mind we're servants of the Most High God, the thing that binds us is our love for God, our appreciation for Him. That motivates us not just to do what He says, but to control our very thoughts, to control the words that we say, to control the attitudes of our heart. Another chain that binds us is uh, the hunger and thirst for righteousness that He has placed in our heart. He has created a new person within us that is losing... Losing its taste for sin. And so we're moving toward righteousness. We we gravitate toward His holiness. And then the third thing that holds us like a chain around our neck is is just His Word. That His Word is the words of life. And that holds us. It's it's bread to our souls. It nourishes us. It's water. It it feeds us. And sustains our spiritual life. And so we're, we're enslaved to God. To His righteousness, to His Word, to His grace. And every believer should seek to be a good servant. That, that's what we, we want to be good servants. We want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So we've been comparing ourselves, our servanthood, to, uh, to God to compared to this Abraham's servant who is the quintessential servant. Anybody reads this, you think, this is a great servant. Servant. Um, but he recognizes his dependence upon God. Now, folks, we, we live life every day. And um, we, we depend upon God. We are to seek His kingdom first. We, we go to work and we're exhausted. But, but then Christ says, no, you seek my kingdom. You come home and you deal with your family in a godly way. And you uh, spend extra time in building my kingdom. You go to church. You 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 are in that community as well. And you work in that environment. And we're exhausted. We look at our task and we think, Lord, we can't be good servants here. And sometimes we feel completely overwhelmed. And, and we are we, that's a good thing because that drives us to Him. That drives us to recognize our dependence upon Him. Now, we want to be good servants. Good servants. And so we have to ask the question, what are characteristics of good servants? So we've been looking at this passage. We've been looking at principles from the New Testament. We've been looking then at the characteristic of this servant. And, and He is a good servant. We see a lot of these same principles that Christ has taught. He is a good servant. So we've been comparing So we've looked through, we've gotten through, I think, eight characteristics. Let me run through them very quickly. We've seen that a good servant recognizes that he is under obligation. A good servant recognizes he is under obligation. He someday is going to, we someday are going to give an account to our master. Number two, a good servant is one that the master can can trust with great responsibility. Number three, we are to be trustworthy, by the way. Number Three, a good servant focuses upon the master 's desires, not just the commands, but we seek to please him that 's our life is and that 's our goal is to to please him, not just to do our duty but to to go beyond that and please our master. Number four, a good servant wisely uses the resources that the master has. To fulfill the master's plan, we are to be good stewards with what God has given us. Number five, a good steward is dependent upon God. Now, this is the pivotal point. This is where the servant here in our story, in in this account, pivots and is no longer, you see that this is, uh, just a task he's doing for Abraham, but he is no longer working just for Abraham. Now he realizes that this is God's task. And he's not just serving Abraham; he is serving God. This is God's mission, and and he is just completely just swallowed up in, in the in the mission of God. What God is doing in this thing, and he's so dependent upon this. Uh, dependent upon God. And you see a real pivotal point here that his his dependence upon God. Number six, this good servant is uh, waits patiently for the sovereign hand of God. He recognizes that God's going to work and he waits. He waits for God to work. And then number seven, a good servant is thankful when he sees God working. Number eight, a good servant has singleness of purpose. Now, that's kind of where we left off last time. In verse 33, we see a singleness of purpose. He says, then food was set before him to eat. Long journey. He's tired. He's surely hungry. And he says, I will not eat until I have spoken my words, until I've shared my mission with you. I'm not going to I'm not going to eat. I, I, uh i didn 't come to eat i didn 't come to socialize i didn 't come to to take tours and uh, see the this landscape or anything like that He, he had one mission singleness of mind singleness of pur- purpose and that was to do his master's master 's will and so in this passage, then we see him just kind of unleashing <laughs> un- unloading his mission on this family now I remember he 's got to somehow persuade them to en- trust their daughter to him to take her away. And it comes down to one conversation. This conversation before they have this meal. And the dominant theme, which is really interesting to me, the dominant theme in this conversation is the will of Yahweh. The will of Yahweh. And what we see is is that he doesn't try to finagle. He doesn't try to persuade in, in some uh, cool way. He just He's got one argument that this is God's will. This is Yahweh's will. God has spoken with this. Now, he does it in two ways. First of all, he exalts God. This is God's will. This is what Yahweh has done. Look at this. And then number two, the second thing that he does is he just gets out of the way. So we see two principles here. Two principles. He exalts God, and then he just gets out of the way. And it's kind of the John the Baptist thing. He must increase, and I must what? Decrease. And there's, there's both. It's a both and situation. When, um, I, I've had the privilege of seeing two United States presidents. Not up close and personal. Uh, President Bush came to, to visit our little town, Hershey, Pennsylvania. We crammed 30,000 people into the football stadium, so we weren't that close. But you could see him, okay? He he lands, these uh, three helicopters land. Uh, they come out and he comes on stage. Now, there's a lot of other people that come on stage with him, but he's the focal point. He's the one that we're going to hear. He's the one that we've anticipated. He's the one that's exalted us. But he has other servants on stage there. But they're just kind of off on the sides. Most of them have black on. They're kind of in the shadows. But they're serving him, and you see the exaltation of this president. And but to see also the serving serving of this president, just kind of off on the sides. That's the that's the, uh, the the tenure, if you will, of this this passage. So let's get to number nine. Number nine: a good servant. Exalts the glory of the Lord. A good servant exalts the glory of the Lord. He's just simply saying, "Look what God has done." This is a this is a God thing, and so he has to introduce his master himself, and and now his mission, and uh, he he promotes what Yahweh has done, and he does so three things. He points out three things that that Yahweh has done, that God has done, and he's saying, "Look." Look at this. Um, And he exalts God. In verse 34, look at the, the passage here. So he said, I am Abraham's servant, and Yahweh has greatly blessed my master. Who? Yahweh. God has greatly blessed my master. God is in this. He has blessed him with, so that he has become great, and he has... Given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and male servants and female servants and camels and donkeys. He's He's got it all. He, he's well set, if you will. Um, it, it would be like Job. Maybe, maybe compare him with Job. It maybe lived around the same time. But he was a man that has been blessed by God. We would see today he, he would have a 401K. His portfolio would would be very diverse. He would have stocks and bonds and, and he would be very well set. Nobody would even question that. He has become great, he says. Who did that? Yahweh did that. Look at verse 36. And now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age well how did that happen in her old age what well, was a, a, an account that yahweh did yahweh did this as well and and he is now transferring his fortune over to his son he says my master and, and at the end of verse 36 he says and he has given him all that he has now that leads to the problem here in verse thirty seven. And my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son among the daughters of the Canaanites in whom I live. But you shall go to my father's house and to my father's and to my family and take a wife for my for my son. And then I said, now, here's the here's the situation. There's one need, one thing that he doesn't have. He's got this fortune. Abraham has transferred this fortune to Isaac His future is secure, and it comes down to the mission. The mission is a wife. He needs a wife to share these things with. In verse 40, and he said, I said to verse 39, I said to my master, Suppose the woman does not follow me. And he said to me, Yahweh, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you. And will make your journey successful. Now, there's a, a lot in this little passage here. He says, "He says this. This is guidance from. So, the Lord has blessed Abraham. The Lord has given Abraham a son, and now the Lord has has guided Abraham's servant to the very woman that he wants to have as Abraham's son's wife. But Abraham knew this. This is an act of faith on Abraham's part. He says, and he said to him." Me. Yahweh, this is God's mission. Yahweh, before whom I have walked. Now, now, think about the life of Abraham. He walked with God. Abraham walked with God. That, that's a wonderful term. He had faith in God. Now, sometimes it was shaky. We looked at Abraham's faith. But it was faith in God. And, and he walked with God. And he says, He will send his angel. With you, and he will make your journey successful. God's going to do that. This. this is God's mission, and 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 Abraham then pulls Abraham's desires, the servant's desires, and God's will together. Pulls it all together. This is one mission, and it's driven by God's desires. This is God's mission. Now again, this is an act of faith on Abraham's part and the servant's part. Now. It's a faith in God. We're we're dependent upon God here to lead us to the right person. And he had to recognize that this is divine intent, divinely directed. His angel is going to guide him. And this is what it is to walk by faith, folks. This is the way we live our life. We, We are dependent upon God. This is a Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 situation. Where the Bible says, where Solomon says, do not lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge him. And, and he'll make your path straight. He'll direct your path. And that's exactly what has happened. And, and the servant is pointing that out, that, that, that Yahweh has worked here. We've gotten out of the way. Yahweh has, has acted here and, and we, see his, we see his work. And the servant is just caught up in the mission. He just kind of loses himself in, in the mission, what God has done. And this is what he's, he's, uh, he's portraying here. His desires have become God's desires. And his desires, or his goals, were God's goals. And his purpose, and his obstacles, and his direction, everything was, was merged. Now, that's what it is, folks, to walk with God. Leaning not on our own understanding, but just acknowledging Him. He's God. He can do this. We, we let God be God. We, we exalt Him. God knows best. Now this is hard for us, isn't it? But this is a life of faith. We, we let God be God. He guide, he knows how to guide, guide mankind. Uh, he knows things that we don't. He, he knows the human heart. He knows our needs. He knows the future. He has... Every molecule in this universe under His control, including our brain waves, including the, the physical elements of our, our body. And this is how it is to walk with God, is to, to trust Him. and We lose ourselves in serving Him. And it's a natural thing for us as believers to walk with God. It was very natural for God to come down and walk with Adam in the cool of the evening and share they had a relationship they would they would talk it, was, it would be a natural thing and for adam to do his bidding i love what uh, spurgeon says the way he puts it he says if you if we live with jesus his life becomes our life <laughs> we just lose ourselves in him now in a day that people are trying to find their identity we say like paul as believers ah i died And the life that I live, it's Christ. That's what it is, to walk with God. Now, there's a danger. Because I see in this world, we see an increasing uh, interpretation of life that is lived apart from God. We're no longer dependent upon God anymore, are we? We we depend upon natural natural course of things, the, the natural causes. It's not God at work. And so everything now is interpreted in a different way. We're becoming detached from, our, from God. This, this guy, he is telling the story and God is very much a part of that story. And I'm afraid the world rubs off on believers so often. I'm a terrible storyteller. Really, I've never been very good at it. But our stories, folks, point to God. One person. He is the one at work in our life. And He is the one to get the glory. Now my wife and I tell the story of, of how the Lord brought us together. And we try to tell it in such a way that, that the Lord gets the glory. Not in some kind of super spiritual way. Or, or uh, some kind of uh, religious, using religious jargon kind of... I, I just don't like that. I like the way Christ spoke of God's will. It's just confidence. And this is God working... It wasn't just us. I don't try to talk in some mystical way or hocus-pocus way. And It's just matter of fact. This is what God has done. We treat God as, God as though God were real. And that's different from the world. Because the world's treating God as though God is not real. And it's always a what if. Kind of the mystical. And we must be careful not to fall into the world's trap, folks. When we, uh, when we recount the stories of our life, what God has done in our life, we point to Him. We point to Him. Um, he gets the glory for those things. And it's essentially not Abraham's story. This isn't Isaac's story. This isn't even the servant's story. This is God's story. This is what God has done. We're just we're just players in this thing. It's not really our story as believers. It's not our story. This is God's story. It's not Daniel's Bible Church story. It's not your story. It's God's story and we have to interpret it from the same perspective that God has and when we get to eternity, folks, we're going to look back and we're going to see God's hand work through all of, all of our lives. And it's God's story. And who then gets the credit for that? God does. God does. And I love the way this servant has told this story. He is exalting God. God gets the credit. God has worked in this way. And it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we Ask or understand according to the power that, is, that works within us. <laughs> it's His work, His power. He's working in us, through us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. When we look back from, from eternity, when we look back at our story, God gets the glory. It's God's story. God is the one doing it. And folks, that's the right perspective that we are to have here. And he's promoting this. This is God's will. God has acted. All of, the, all of that is now being transported over to Rebecca's family. What are you going to do with it now? So a good servant exalts, exalts and glorifies God. Look what Yahweh has done. This is an act of God, and here's how your part is. Number ten. Let me move through this quickly. A good servant tries to get out of the way of what God's doing. Number ten. A good servant tries to get out of the way of what God is. It's it's John the Baptist. He must increase. he, He promotes God. And then he gets out of the way. Folks, that's our life. That's our life. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to see three things here. The, the way this servant just kind of gets out of the way and promotes, continues to promote God. In verse 42, so I came today to the spring and said, oh, Yahweh. So, so first of all, you see his dependence upon Yahweh, his appeal is to Yahweh. Yahweh, if, if this is going to be done, God's going to have to do it. He's dependent upon God. O Yahweh, he says, the God of my master Abraham. So it's the same God that uh, that they are familiar with. Same Yahweh, same name. If now you will make my journey on which I go successful, behold, I am standing by a spring of water. And may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw, and to whom I say, please uh, let me drink from... A little water from your jar. And she said to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also. She is the woman whom Yahweh has decided upon for this for my master's son. Whose decision was it? Yahweh. I appealed to Yahweh. I, I depend upon God. I depend upon God. He, he's not trying to manipulate. He could have gone in there with some some flashy uh, things and, and got their attention with some uh some wonderful words and manipulated and tried to try to uh coerce them but he's being objective here. He's not working, Yahweh's working. God is the one that has done this. This whole argument is that it's not me. I didn't just choose because she was pretty. I didn't just choose because of this or that. No, this is, this is Yahweh. It's not my fault. It's just the mission. Number two, we see in verse 45, before I had finished speaking, I was still praying. She was already on her way. It's before speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca was coming out with, my, with her jar on her shoulder, and said to me, uh, and uh, she went down to the spring and drew, and I said to her, please give me a drink. Then she hurried and lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, it, and I will also give water to your camels. And so I drank, and she watered the camels. It, it, it unfolded just the way I, I thought it, that it would unfold. But who did the work? He said, I appealed to God. Number two, he, he, he just sat back and watched God work. God did it. This is God's choice. This is, this is just an answer to his prayer. Now we see Rebecca's just uh, servant heart here. This is more than just politeness, giving him a drink. You no, know, I'll, I'll serve your camels as well. This is, this is genuine hospitality. You can see the grace of God at work in her life. You see character here. And, and, and so God's work was very clear, very clear here. And then number three we see dependence upon God. This is God thing in verse forty seven. He says, Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milka bore to him, and I put the ring on her nose and the bracelet on her wrist. And I bowed low and worshipped who? Yahweh, God. And I blessed Yahweh. The God of my master. He keeps coming back to that. This is the same God that, that Abraham worships. By the name of Yahweh. Who, got, who, has, who had guided me. He's the one that, that Abraham worshipped. He has guided me in the true way. To take the daughter of my master's relatives to his son. So. He was worshipped. He was dependent upon God. God came through. He showed himself. And it was a God, God at work here. He just acknowledged God. And so now he puts it on them, verse 49. So now, if you are going to show loving kindness and truth with my master, tell me now. Tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right or to the left. So that I can know now what to do. He says, and it's up to you. God has worked. Now, now see, he's taken himself completely out of the picture. He appealed to God. God worked. He acknowledged God's work by by worshiping him. It's a God thing. God has fulfilled this mission. Not him. Folks, that is the way we live our life. That's that's faith in action. That is is, uh, uh, just just the way we, we walk. God is faithful to those who walk with Him. God is faithful to those who walk with Him. He has the ability to control every situation. He has the power to work. When we, when we can't, He has the wisdom to know the, the judgment of what to say and what not to say. He, he knows what is good when our judgments are distorted. I'm afraid so much of today's ministry is just self promotion, folks. We're trying to persuade people. Instead of just letting God just just saying, here's what God says, here's the danger, here's the warning, here's what God says, this is God's mission, this is, this is who Christ is, and then let God work. There's no fear in that. We're, we're getting out of the way. He we we're, we're exalting him, and then we just we just kind of decrease. So much of today's ministry is about self promotion. It's, it's they they promote God, and, and then they horn in on God and get God's credit. They they'll market their strategy. Here is how we built this church, and, and uh, you know, give me ten different uh, methods of of how, what we did to build this church. Is God building the church? So much of that, I think, is phoniness. It's not from a, a true heart that's really walking with God or or serving the Lord. They're just lying to themselves. They're just pretending. It's it's manipulation. Not just people; they're trying to manipulate God and God's God's mission. And it's a scary thing. We don't we don't want to do that. We, we elevate God, and we get out of the way we we don't take the credit for God's mission and I I'm just reminded at this point of what James says in James chapter 4 and this is a scary thought but he says be subject therefore to God resist the devil and flee from him and he will flee from you draw near to God and he will draw near to you cleanse your heart cleanse your hands you sinners purify your hearts you double-minded be miserable and poor and cry. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of God, and He will exalt you. Because that's the right—that's the right posture of a servant, just exalting God and just decreasing, getting getting out of the way, letting letting God work. We are. A lot of people today think that they know best. That that they don't want to trust in God because God might let them down. That they are sovereign. Let their will be done. And folks, that is so dangerous. So dangerous. That's not the posture of a good servant. Every Christian strives to be a good servant. We all want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And it's only going to be done by exalting the Lord and, and getting rid of pride in our own life. And just, just getting out of the way and let God do His work. He will guide us. He will guide, he is a good God. He will do that. It takes faith. It, it takes a daily walk with Him. You know, it's one thing to say That you serve God, it's another thing to actually serve God and not serve self. And I think there's a danger there. He must increase and we must decrease. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a a wonderful example of of a good servant. Not just a good servant, but a godly servant. You can tell that that, that Eleazar, he he served you, not just Abraham. He, He sought to please you. Lord, may that be the posture of our heart. Just exalt you, continually exalting Christ, presenting the gospel, seeking first the kingdom, and then, Lord, just allowing you to work, not getting the credit. Telling our story from from your perspective. Here's what you are doing in our life. Here's what you are doing in Daniel's Bible Church. Oh Lord, then I pray. I pray that we would be good servants. I pray that we would walk in your paths. Lord, I thank you for your being a God to depend upon. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.